The Secrets of Stargate is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, episode 38. Janet West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we got to do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. Pete, you say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous, but this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. It was never about going home. It's about getting us to where we're going. Hi, I'm Jack Barazzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies, TV series, and more. And joining me today are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father. Howdy, Jack. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Jack. Unfortunately, uh, Lisa was not able to uh, join us. And so today we are going to be discussing the 18th episode of Season 2, Serpent Song. The team responds to a mysterious message that gives a set of coordinates. They travel there and witness a death glider get shot down by some other death gliders. Who should be piloting it but everyone's favorite evil Gould, a badly wounded Apophis. They bring him back to the SGC where he requests sanctuary. The team, especially Jack, would rather let him die, but Dr. Fraser does her best to care for his wounds. Apophis tells them that he is being pursued by Sokar, an ancient Gould who once ruled Earth. The Tok'ra come through the gate and warn the SGC that Sokar will stop at nothing to track down Apophis and destroy him and that he will destroy Earth too if he has to. The gate is activated by Sokar, who begins to bombard the iris with a particle accelerator. As Apophis's condition worsens, his host's mind is able to reinsert itself at intervals. Eventually, Apophis succumbs to his wounds and dies. The team returns his body through the Stargate to stop Sokar's attack, only to have Martuf tell them that Sokar will revive Apophis with a sarcophagus and torture him indefinitely. What are your thoughts on this episode, Father? Oh, this is this is one I I have always liked. You know, of course, it, it advances the story. It's 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 one of those episodes that it exists to advance the storyline. That's mm-hmm. the whole purpose of it. The overarching storyline. You know, there's no other real motive to it. Um, you know, of course, we get to get our you know first real introduction of Sokar, and that you know, and what's going on with Apophis, and and of course, as as you kind of hinted or you said in in the summary that the. Tokra says, oh, yeah, they'll just re- resurrect him, which, of course, means Apophis really isn't dead yet. Right. Which means we'll see him again at some point. Yep. If there's not a body and they're not dead, but in this yep. case, there is a body and they're not there dead. There was a body and he's still not dead. <laughs> yep. What about you, Victor? Yeah, I really like this episode, too. There's there's a lot going on here and a lot to like. Um, and I think this is the first episode directed by Peter DeLuise uh, coming in. And, and he's, he's a writer, director for the show, a creative consultant. Uh, and I think he gives Stargate from this point on a lot of it's kind of like action flair and, and humor too. So it was really cool to see his name pop up in the, in the uh, director's chair there. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot going on here. Some really cool, um, you know, action uh, set pieces or, you know, that's being maybe overstating it, but some really cool, right. you know, camera moves and stuff. The the very first one, of course, when Jack is uh, walking backwards into the gate as they're, as they're being shot at by death gliders. Yeah. And so you get to see basically, instead of going forward through the gate, you get, you you pull back through the, through the vortex effect and you get to see like the shots coming, uh, 
coming at you into the gate and stuff. So it's a very, uh, very cool shot there. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, we should mention Peter DeLuise. His last name might sound familiar, as in the great Dom DeLuise. He's his son. He's nice. Dom DeLuise's son. And Dom DeLuise is on SG-1 at some point, I believe, in an episode that Peter directs, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. That's that's, awesome. that's correct. Yeah. And, and uh, Peter's uh, uh, has a brother on the show as well. Yep. Oh, cool. Yeah, I really like um, I like the character moments in this episode the most. I feel like they did a lot to explore that, um, especially the dynamic of Apophis, who's caused so much trouble for Earth and been so incredibly dangerous coming to them in this weakest weakened state and them having to help him out and how hostile they are to that. And um, it was especially Daniel for obvious reasons, because Apophis took right. his wife and then Jack, who's got some latent anger issues. Um, I feel like in there, <laughs> uh, but I, I liked how they explored that with those characters. And I thought it was interesting that they did not really, there was no point in the episode where, either Jack or Daniel had to like have a change of heart mm-hmm. about Apophis. Yeah. Like I'm glad they did not kind of do it that way. It was, it was kind of ordered change of heart of, you know, basically no, we will not kill him. Isn't that correct? Colonel, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you, you, yeah. you know, general Hammond, of course, applying the Geneva convention rules for prisoners of war for Apophis, even though Apophis wouldn't have done the same. Yeah. You know, but it was just like, no, you will not drag him out back and shoot him. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do appreciate that each member of the SG team get kind of gets their crack at, at Apophis, yep. you know, yeah. and, and they each have a different, uh, you know, approach and just the look of like utter peace on Teal's face as he watches like Apophis, you know, they're dying. <laughs> It's just like he has like this, just this very blissed out, serene, you know. Oh, it's not even zen, peace. It's zen, absolute yeah. satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the only one who isn't like straight up hostile to him is um, Sam for the most part. But then uh, Dr. Frazier, who is just being 100% professional with the whole thing, which I like mm-hmm. that they I like that they have her kind of be the opposite of the way the rest of the team was acting. Well, she's, you know, she's providing comfort care, you know, she's right. trying to trying if, if not to save his life to at least keep him, you know, relatively comfortable, you mm-hmm. know, with morphine and stuff like that. And, uh, and then of course, Tilk's like, no, you're not going to do that. I, I love that scene where she's like, move out of the way till no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let him suffer. You know? Yeah, I really, uh, I liked, uh, yeah, there was no, uh, no touchy feely like reconciliation or something, which I feel like. I feel like this was like a next generation episode that kind of would have gone for something more high, maybe high minded in terms of trying to, to do that with the characters. But I like, this feels more realistic and that's what I, I liked about that. I will say that t- the touchy feely does come in with the, the host of Apophis, which they didn't, yes. they don't say his name, but yeah. you know, this host that's been controlled by this Gwauld for millennia really. And, uh, you know, just when he comes, whenever he can come and then Daniel can talk to him and reassure him and all that. I mean, that, 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 and that's, that, I think that's played well. I think that's played very, very well. Yeah, which, that was, I, absolutely. I, I keep forgetting his name, but the actor who plays Apophis, uh, Peter Williams, Peter Williams, he really is yeah. a good actor. I mean, yeah. he really is. And he plays that so well where the two characters are completely different. Yeah. I really like that. Um, and just like how incredibly like heart wrenching that is with, with the guy like who's been imprisoned in his own body for thousands of years 
mm-hmm. waking up in this in this state, and you really it like it was really like a very good emotional scene the way it was done. Absolutely, and something and uh, the makeup the makeup effects too as he gets more and more like withered and gaunt and stuff, and and towards the end I'm just like gosh like. I didn't know Peter Williams was like that's like skinny, you know, that he could have like that much of a skull like appearance yeah. and stuff. It's it's just really effective the makeup there that yeah that they use as well. Yeah, it was it was very good, like old age, like almost like decaying makeup. Like mm-hmm. it, they did a good yeah. job with that. It wasn't how like sometimes you see it like that. The episode where um Jack ages. Oh yeah. You didn't, you didn't get horrible. that kind of effect. <laughs> but something that I was thinking of watching this episode is all the ancient Egypt ancient Egyptian that they were speaking in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I sent you all the link to this, but it's really cool that the way we know a lot of how ancient Egyptian is pronounced, even though it's not a language that's been really spoken for a couple thousand years is through the Coptic church in Egypt, because mm-hmm. their language is essentially the modern day evolution of um, ancient Egyptian. And so when they are translating the Rosetta stone, there's no um, there's no vowels in right. the ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics, so they were able to figure out an approximation of what the vowel sounds would have been between the letters by using Coptic. And there was actually a Coptic priest who worked with um, Champollion when he was translating the Rosetta Stone. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it was very interesting. Of course, of course, that, that's the official government line. That's what the government will tell you. The real reason is is yeah. classified because of Cheyenne Mountain. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean right. it's just completely classified. Yeah. <laughs> all from Abydos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we get to see the uh the Topra again, which is which is fun. Yep. Yep. We go we get to see Martouf uh uh show up and and that I thought was really um really good as well. Martouf is, is shows up and and they're being briefed on the situation and he's all buddy buddy with the humans and it's like, oh yeah, you guys are clever, you guys are great. Then all of a sudden Lantash, the uh the Tokra symbiote can't take it anymore and it like takes over and it's just like, you idiots, what are you doing? Yeah. You're so you're so <laughs> stupid and stuff. And, and so I thought that was a very nice transition too exactly. between the the host and the and the symbiote there. <laughs> yeah, I like that uh that swap off and how he kind of has to apologize for him afterwards. Yep. Yeah. I do like um <laughs> I like the way that the Tok'ra are portrayed where they're good guys, but their, their aims are different from earth's in terms of Mm -hmm. what they're trying to accomplish. Like they're allied, but they're not, they're almost allies out of necessity more than like they're actually buddy, buddy. So I like that. I like that dynamic that they play up there. Yeah. Well, we see that more and more with the Tok'ra. They, they definitely uh, play at a different level where, you know, uh, SG one goes in there, literally all guns blazing, and Tokra wants to be more undercover, behind the scenes, mm-hmm. that kind of deal. Yeah, definitely a different strategy there with the espionage and playing the long game. You know, it may take a couple uh, centuries, but we'll bring the system lords down eventually. And yeah, yeah, SG one. Now nah, we'll just blow up his ships. <laughs> just put enough C four in there, and that'll take care of it. Yep. I really like how they're. They're shifting the power dynamics, though. I think that's that's cool to see that it's not just it's not like a He-Man cartoon where you have Skeletor get defeated at the end of every episode and then he comes back. Um, yeah. I like yeah. that we uh, we're having consequences for the characters actions where Apophis has now been weakened and the other gold are coming in and filling that power vacuum. And I like that it's showing like even though like you defeated your main enemy, but that that's not the end of the line and there's going to right. be other problems that arise from that. Well, that's, that's kind of been a part of the 
series from the beginning because of course in the movie they defeated raw and it's like oh did raw come back no it's not raw it's another one what do you mean there's another yeah. one? Oh, by the way there's a lots more out there that we're only just now finding out about and they'll find out more and yeah so it's and you you, you it really is one of the great things of this this series is you see the the galactic politics with the mm -hmm. gold you know how and how they shift back and forth depending on what what SG-1 does to them, basically. Yeah. yeah, and just when, you know, the humans think that they've figured out the limits of the Gould capability, you know, they start to bombard the iris with a, you know, particle accelerator that creates, you know, holographic faces and stuff. And we learned some really cool things about the, the Gould as well, that there was a time when the Unas and the humans existed as, as you know, hosts together. Mm -hmm. um, Which that makes sense. That makes which, a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was um, I was definitely excited to hear more about the Unas, and I know we're going to see them more later on. Um, but I, I like that idea of like these ancient primordial beings being like the first hosts, and I think that'll be cool to see more of. Yeah, because Sokar ruled in Memphis in uh in Egypt, not Tennessee. Um, right. Maybe Elvis <laughs> is a gold. Hmm. Nah. That would explain explain a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, and he had like his Unas guards there, so it's cool to see more of that. That like that tying into Earth's history. But by, by the way, it wouldn't be Elvis, it'd be Keith Richards. I mean, you know, the guy hasn't yeah. aged in forty years. It's true. He's always looked rough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he needs to get into a sarcophagus. Yeah. <laughs> Who says he doesn't? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. True. But uh yeah, written by this episode written by Catherine Powers, I think uh her probably her strongest episode to date, definitely. Um Nothing against like the, you know, Thor's hammer, Thor's chariot, but there's, there's some very good writing in this one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jack kind of attacks postmodernism there where, uh, you know, Apophis lies dying and, and Jack's like, you know, I can't help you. You know, that's between you, you and your God. And then noting the irony, it's like, oh, wait a minute. You are your God. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of an indictment of like postmodernity uh, post there. It's like, you know, once you become your God, you know, where do you? your own God, where do you turn for, uh, you know, salvation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liked that a lot. And they did a good job with, uh, you get that ticking clock with them trying to overheat the iris and melt through, mm -hmm. but it, it's not like the main focus of the episode. It kind of serves as like a tension builder for the rest of the right. stuff that's happening with, uh, with Apophis. And I liked, uh, um, so after, uh, when, uh, Daniel's finally able to communicate with the host. I like that, like, he goes through and he, like, everything he does to comfort him. Like, I really like that they, like, do the funeral for him and, you know, comfort yep. him and all that. And I think that was really good. Exactly. Uh, going, going back to the beginning of the episode, I, I love how when they, they bring Apophis through, and I, th it was, I think it was Jack said, Apophis, meet General Hammond. General Hammond, Apophis. And General Hammond says, We've met. Yeah. <laughs> Going all the way back to the pilot episode, the first episode. Oh, that's right. Because General Hammond walks in just before Apophis jumps back through the gate. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We also get uh, the president's input there where he gives the order to just let Apophis die. Mm -hmm. They don't really, like, I feel like they would have, I know they wanted to keep him, at, like, for strategic reasons, but it makes sense that under the duress they were that they would kind of want to hasten that along but yeah. i do like also that they do not directly kill him. i feel like that would have right. kind of undercut the morality of the characters there 
Well, that's that's you know the difference between outright euthanasia and um and just just not withholding treatment. You know, and you know, talking from a Catholic standpoint of you know to if it's if it's you know extraordinary care such as keeping someone alive who's clearly just it's within their last days or weeks, you don't have to go to extraordinary means. Um, you know, you, you can you can just not have those treatments and the, right. just allow the person to die naturally. It's different to say, well, they could live for two, three years, but, you know, if we give them this ejection that we could just take care of it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not quite to uh, SG universe yet where they probably, you know, Dr. Rush or something would have, you know, <laughs> straight up and murdered him or something, you know, but that's a much different show. Oh, yeah. We'll get there yeah. eventually. That was when you moved into like the... Uh... The post-Battlestar Galactica, everything is morally gray and everyone is different shades of tortured. And I'm glad we're not really seeing that here. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing it in a much more, a much more realistic way, like the way the characters are expressing their antipathy and kind of their pleasure at seeing Apophis like in pain. But you don't get, you don't get anything that's like makes you feel really skeezy about the characters. Yeah, and Daniel like flexing the knowledge of Apophis's son, mm-hmm. like not, not the most smart tactical move, probably. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So he goes and he <laughs> talks to uh, he talks to Apophis, and he, he his end goal is to find out where Share is, and they go back and forth, and he refuses to Apophis refuses to call her Share. He just calls him calls her. Uh, cannot remember the Amonet. Amonet yeah, um, and I liked that. Uh, I think like Daniel had, I mean, Teal'c obviously has a lot of justified rage at, at, um, Apophis, but I, I think that the way Daniel handled that was, was interesting to see. Um, but yeah, revealing that, you know, where Apophis's son in son is, is a terrible idea. Well, of course, as far as they knew that he wasn't going to have any chance to do anything about it. So, yeah. oh well, but, but then again, Daniel has often shown that when it comes to Sharae, the brain shuts off. Yeah. Let's just be honest. Yeah. He doesn't think through his actions. No. He's 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 kind of like Tilk, except for you know, where Tilk was more reserved and just enjoying watching Apophis die. Daniel wanted to rub it in his face. Yeah. Though we do get a bit of gloating from Tilk where he talks about how this day is going to be a high holiday um for the Gwol now or the Jaffa now that they're free from Apophis and all that. But he he doesn't a very like very calm, restrained way where you can see that he just yeah. has like this cathartic yeah. experience. Well, he says that, and then he also says, just as you have used the Jaffa as slaves, now the Jaffa will use you as slaves. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was kind of dark. It's like, wait a minute, you need you need our ghoul because we got to take that larva, you know, ghoul out of you. And he's like, no, nope, we'll just get it. We'll just chuck the old one in when it gets old enough and put a new one in. And Yep. We're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely ties back to that whole that scene where uh, they just shoot the tank full of the larval gold and let them spill all over the floor. Mm-hmm. It always kind of rubbed me the wrong way yeah. in terms of destroying the the innocent gold for no real reason. Well, they they explain that by saying that they aren't innocent. Like every gold is born with the genetic memory of every you know gold that's come before it, so they're literally like born evil. Yep. I guess, but they haven't directly committed any actions. They just have the. They just have the memories. So again, Daniel, not thinking, just acting. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we, uh, I like, um, 
I like that device that the Toker give them at the end because it looks like a, oh, the Tolan, the Tolan yeah. multi-phasic yeah. communicator, I think is what they called it. Um, it. It looks like a controller for like a speak and spell or like one of those old like, what's that, the game where you hit the different color, Simon? Simon, like, yeah. That's oh, yeah. I got from it. <laughs> yeah, the, the Tolan are, uh, yeah, they have like this amazing technology that's like light years beyond anything they have on Earth, but it all looks like, you know, it was made by Mattel in 1977. Yeah. Well, and, and there's kind of a kind of a the Tokra kind of rubbed it in, in the humans face of, oh, yes, we're, we're friends with the Tolan and they, they share with us. And of course, the humans are going, yeah, we're supposed to be friends with the Tolan and they don't want anything to do with us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Extremely condescending to us. Yeah. We get some really good Siler scenes in this episode, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. With the liquid nitrogen cooling down the uh, the iris before it before it overheats. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's like blisteringly hot the iris is like incredibly hot and then they open and close it and i'm like wouldn't that just make the that metal has to be so brittle being so well it is so hot like that i've it's trinium titanium so i mean it's you know you got you got the unobtainium from the spirit planet so it should be okay yeah yeah Yeah. but uh yeah i was wondering yeah we get that apparently you might want to let it cool off for just a little bit before you I mean, let's, let's be honest, its... if you really think about the practicality of the iris, yeah, it doesn't work the way you think it works, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it disappears into nothing, so I think it's just one of those hand-wavy pieces of technology you just got to yep. go with. Well, not just does it disappear, but when it comes out and then it overlaps in a way that it, like, does two layers. Yeah. It just visually does not make any sense, but it looks cool. It looks cool. And that's the important point. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess there's a, I mean, I guess there's no way to shut off a Stargate because it can always be powered remotely, but I feel like they'd have some, they should figure out some way to do that. I mean, yeah. And, and this whole thing of like, you know, enemies spamming the Stargate and causing problems that way, we, that comes up a lot. Obviously mm-hmm. we got it at the end of the previous season on the, uh, the alternate earth where, mm-hmm you know, the gold were, were doing that and they had to get the window to, to send a message through, but it comes up in Atlantis quite a bit. And Well, and we've got uh, yet another time where Sam figures out how to speed up the dialer, even though we don't ever see that again until the next time she needs to figure out how to speed up the dialer. Yeah. We do get, get a, the, the whole 38 minute window they have. So I guess this is yep. essentially just like a denial of desert, denial of service attack on their gate. Yes, it is. Through. Yep. No way. Yep. Yep. Seems like they would by now they'd know like the the gate address that requires like the least amount of movement of the wheels. Like they would have an address where like the symbols are very close to each other so that they could just go like blip 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 instead of letting it spin like three quarters of the way around to get to the next symbol. You mean kinda like why, you know, was it New York's area code was two one two and Chicago's is three one two because the big cities got the quicker dials on the rotary dials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that. <laughs> They could just dial the gate. Well, I guess they don't know where it is, but they could dial the Area 51 gate. That would be Well, closer. that would use, like, Earth's address, though. I don't know. Yeah, there, there's... there's they, they talk about that every once in a while, how, how to handle the other, other gate and things like that. It, it does different yeah. things, so... does different things depending on what the plot requires. Right, it moves at the speed of plot. Um, yep. I think there was a... I think it was Rick Berman at one point um, 
maybe I, uh, Rick Berman or one of those guys who works on a next generation, uh, audience member asked him how the inertial dampeners work. And he replied very well. Thank you. So it's one of those, <laughs> one of those kind of things. <laughs> so, but yeah, this is a, this is a good episode. I like that. It's moving the plot forward and it's doing interesting things to change the status quo. And we're not just left with a, a static, uh, purely episodic story. And, it really finds the balance between planet of the week and then also mm-hmm. tying into the overall mythology. And I feel like this show, this is kind of like my sweet spot for these kind of things. Like I don't like how heavily serialized TV is nowadays. Right. Like I feel like this or like the X files or deep space nine, the way they were able to have a larger mythology, but also not have it be like 15 episodes about one single plot. Like mm-hmm. it keeps it fresh. So I feel like Absolutely. I wish TV would kind of move back in that direction. Yeah. And like I said, it was really encouraging to see Peter DeLuise's name in the, in the credits and going through like the rest of the Stargate shows, whenever you see his name pop up, you know, you're, you're in for a good time. Nice. Yeah. And it's, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Jack. That's, that's, I think that's one of the, the great qualities of SG one is you have both the serial and the individual episodes and, mm-hmm. You know, and it's not like Doctor Who. And this this is new who does this a lot where you'll have an individual episode, but then they'll sneak something in there somewhere that feeds into the larger storyline. They don't not, they didn't always do that with SG one. There would be yeah. just an episode that was a standalone single episode, had absolutely nothing to do with the larger plot line. And then they would have an episode like this, which was vice versa. This was a let's advance the larger plot line episode. Right. Yeah, it's definitely definitely the best way to do it. Awesome. Uh, did y'all have uh, any other thoughts on this episode? I, I did have to laugh where, you know, they, they show them at the beginning wearing the, the desert camels. And those are the same camels I wore when I spent my five months over in Saudi Arabia. And I'll tell you what, those uniforms are comfortable. They're almost like pajamas. <laughs> nice. And part of it was because you didn't, you, you were, you were ordered, you could not, you were not allowed to iron or starch them because of course they're designed to let the heat out of your body so that you don't show up quite as, bi- quite as brightly on infrared. Meaning oh, nice. you become a smaller target on infrared. And so, yeah, you didn't have to care for them. You just took them out of the closet and shook them off and wore them. <laughs> so they're comfortable and easy to use. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. What about you, Victor? Uh, no, I really like this episode. And uh, yeah, lots of lots of good action. Like I said, I like the the shot of the backwards, you know, trip through the Stargate. But then there's also another shot during the episode where we where we follow a bunch of airmen as they're running through the corridors of the uh, of Stargate command to get to the gate room. And I thought that was very cool as well, because it really does show off the set, but also that, you know, this is an actual physical place, mm-hmm. you know? So I like that. Yeah, definitely. It's always fun to see uh, interesting camera work. I know you really like this episode and I think you mentioned that you absolutely love the episode we're going to do next week. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Just wondrous. Yes. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Talk, talk about, we did, we did get some feedback. I don't know if you want to. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, mention that, but, but I, th- I think next, next week's episode won't do anything to uh, change uh, that person's mind. But. Yeah. It, it might be a false step of an episode, but you never know. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. We have a, we do have some uh, feedback from Richard who said, uh, Thanks for motivating me to finally watch SG-1 on Netflix. I've watched up to season one, episode eight, 
And I'm thinking, and I keep thinking I'm watching a Star Trek episode, sometimes multiple ones. First, the whole premise of Stargate reminds me of the TNG episode, uh, first season episode Conspiracy or the Evil Trills in DS9. Star Trek has done many episodes with unnatural aging to quickly solve it in the last five minutes. Star Trek seems to really like showing mythical gods being space beings who enslaved Earth or took people from Earth. And I have to admit, I think SG has done a better job with these stories, but they are the same stories in new clothes. I hope they move away from this pattern or I may give up on watching it. Yeah, they, well, of course, we talk about Emancipation, which literally is an TNG episode in new clothes. And actually, it's funny you mention, you know, being episode eight, which is the Knox. Mm-hmm. And of course, the next episode talked about aging is Brief Candle, which is all about lots of aging. So, yeah, you know, in, in many ways, of course, one, you know, one issue of when you're dealing with stuff like science fiction is there's only so many stories you can tell. Right. You know, and so many, so many TNG episodes were redressed. Twilight Zone or TOS episodes or, you know, mm-hmm. so I mean, and, and TNG or uh, SG one will does as I'm, I'm sure you've seen now, Jack, it does mm-hmm. kind of get off on its own path more and more as, as we go along. But yeah, there, there definitely yeah. were plot lines that were absolutely borrowed from, you know, Star Trek and other science right. fiction stories. And I will say having, um, watching it through the first time and like I'm a huge Star Trek fan like that's my number one favorite show and mm-hmm. I I definitely agree that like the first half of the first season feels very very um there's it's very reminiscent of Star Trek but mostly it just feels like your standard like 90s tell uh science fiction TV show yep. and the show really finds its starts finding its voice I feel like in the second half of the first season and it really improves from there and I would definitely Absolutely. say to Richard that it's it's worth sticking with. Yeah, they they start to do a lot more world building that that gives it its own distinct universe, but also they also find uh, the show has a very distinct tone which is, you know, a good mix of action, humor, you know, science, science fiction, um that, you know, and fun that's really uh, unique to the show. So definitely stick with it and uh you know, hopefully you come to love it as much as we do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I will say also something that differentiates it, especially from TNG, is that it doesn't it doesn't try to preach at you the way Star Trek can mm-hmm. sometimes. And so I appreciate that, like, it's first and foremost, it's telling a story and it's meant to right. be an interesting, entertaining story. And it's not right. trying to ham-fistedly fit an allegory into a sci-fi TV show. Exactly. So I, I like that about it. You know, and one other, I was just thinking this one other difference from like it's a Star Trek is by and large, the technology in, in Star Trek episodes stays about the same. Right. You know, the, 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 there's no real change in the Enterprise D from the first episode of TNG to the last episode of TNG. You know, by, you know, of course, other than plot developments or whatever. Yeah. One thing, and I'm again, I'm, I hope you've kind of noticed this, Jack, is they start, they're starting to bring the technology into the SG1 where the, the, the te- the human technology mm-hmm. is advancing by how far, and of course, it goes much further as as the series goes along. So that that's a big difference. Is you do see progression and advancement in human human technology based off of this what's right. been going on. And I think, like I was mentioning earlier, you also see like the galactic status quo changing more than you do in mm-hmm. Star Trek. Like obviously, Deep Space Nine really does a lot with that, and that's why I think Deep Space Nine is probably the best star trek series but it's this show is does not feel as static as tng did mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. So, yeah, but uh, we really appreciate the feedback and we're glad uh, we're glad you're enjoying the podcast and we hope that you uh, stick with us and uh, stick with Stargate. Absolutely. Awesome. And before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Stargate, including Michael P., Billy H., Robert S., Michael F., Lisa R., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Stargate and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And be sure to follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of Secrets of Stargate and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash Stargate. You can email us at stargate at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or on Twitter at SQPN. You can also join the StarQuest fan club mailing list by texting StarQuest to 66866. Send StarQuest to 66866. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of SG-1. It's Victor's favorite, One False Step. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Until then, Father Corey, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Stargate. Thank you, Jack. And Victor Lambs, thank you as well. Thanks, Jack. And pour it on, Sergeant. It's getting hot in here. <laughs> Once again, I'm Jack Berzy. Thank you for listening to The Secret to Stargate on StarQuest. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think? <laughs>